0: Christian Medical and Dental Associations hope you enjoy today's chapel message. Well, I think I mentioned to you before that I don't do New Year's resolutions per se, Um, but I do try to do an inventory of where I am in my walk of faith, and I try to also assess whether I'm walking in God's will or not. It's very important for us to know that we're in the center of God's will. So I'm talking today about knowing God's will. I'm not talking about finding God's will. I've counseled so many CMDA members at all ages, from students to retirees. And many, many people struggle with the idea of finding God's will. Well, I want you to be convinced today that God's will is not lost. It's not difficult to find. All we have to do is start by knowing it, and then we'll talk later on what we do when we know is God's will. So I want to talk about knowing God's will. My starting point today is going to be in Psalm 19. Now, you know this psalm. It begins, The heavens declare the glory of God, and it ends with, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. C.S. Lewis have said of this psalm that it's one of the finest poems ever written, full of richness about God and His Word. But I'm going to take some verses out of the center of that psalm to lead us off today. Let me read them for you. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring and refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are reliable and trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. Let me recap that just a little bit. God has given us the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the judgments. They are valuable, more valuable than gold. They're sweet as honey. And by them we're warned and we're also rewarded. And I want to contend to you today that herein lies the basis for knowing God's will in our lives. The catalyst for me getting involved with this idea came from reading Colossians chapter 1. Now, we got a lot to cover today. I am actually not going to give you all the Scripture references verbally. Uh, they're in the slides, and if you're welcome to have a copy of the slides. Just email me. I'll give you that because we're going to see there's a lot of Scripture references that we're going to cover today. But Colossians chapter 1, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to His will, and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works as you learn more and more how God works you will learn how to do your work principle knowing God and his word are keys to knowing his will for your life that's the starting point he has given us explicit understanding of his will it was like a student once asked me he said I'm really trying to decide which residency to go into I want God to help me make this decision. I said, well, let's back up a little bit and see where you are in your walk of faith. I said, uh, what, what's your relationship with God? Well, it's not that good. I grew up in a Christian home. I made a confession of faith when I'm little. I mean, not going to church, not reading my Bible, not involving a fellowship of Christian believers. Yes, I'm living with my girlfriend, but I want God to help me with this decision. I said, we've got a problem here. You want God to help you with one decision in your life when you've rejected his overall will for your life i've got a problem now when we start talking about god's will for our lives all of us are going to look backwards and say there's plenty of times in our lives when we have not followed god's will You know, the regrets from that can be burdensome. Martin Lord Jones says too many of us live with those vain regrets. But we need to remember this. One, God promises to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And some of our years have been eaten by locusts in our lives. And we can have regrets over that. But as Romans 8 reminds us, For we know that all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We have that promise that God will come along and restore our lives and even make good out of the bad that we've had. Not that the bad was good, but He can then turn it around for good. So, what's your status? If you're confused and directionless and ineffective in your life, then you have found Satan's will for you. And you're living in that will. We don't have to because Jesus says he came to seek and save that which is lost. And we all are lost at times. We all were lost for sure at one time. And he also came to give us a life and a life that is abundant. That's what we're promised. I'll tell you a little story. When uh, we would gotten this piece of property, we, the property didn't come up where it does to now. And we sort of wanted a buffer on this side of the property. And that property... Uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but it it was not on the market, but we talked to the person who owned it, and there was a possibility of it being bought and us transferring part of the property. We eventually traded an acre out here on the old Jonesboro Road for four acres on this side of the property. So we went from 52 acres to 56 acres on CMDA property. But we were said, well, when this is a possibility, Dave and I said, well, let's go look at that property. So we went out walking one day, We started walking in that direction, this was totally undeveloped at the time, and uh, we were walking and talking about a problem we were dealing with at CMDA and not paying any attention to where we were going. And we talked and walked for a long time, and then suddenly I said, David, which way do you think it is back to CMDA, and he says, I think it's that way. I said, David, I think it's that way. (laughs) We were lost. Well, I had brought a topo map of that property, and I had brought a compass, my old Boy Scout training. So I got the map out, and I oriented it with a compass, and I could see the landmarks around us. So with those two things, we're able to tell where we were and how to get, solve that problem of being lost. You know, God does that in our lives. He's given us two things. He's given us His Word, which is like a map, and He's given us the Holy Spirit for us to orient that map to our situation so that we don't have to be lost. Now I'm not talking about lost and being unsaved and undone and without God and His Son. I'm talking about as Christians we can get lost wandering in this maze of the world. And we need those two things in our lives. His Word as a map and His Holy Spirit as our compass to be found. So, Why do people think that God's will is difficult to find? Because Scripture is very clear that it's not. He says, it's God's will that no one be lost. It's God's will that all should be sanctified. That just means He wants us to grow in righteousness and being further set apart for His will. You know, it's probable that none of us will ever become sinless, but we can certainly sin less. And that's what God is bringing us toward in our lives. And it's God's will that, we'd be, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, it says in Romans 12. We'll also look at that verse again because that's a key to finding His will for our lives. <clears throat> but there's another thing that's clear in Scripture and has to do with obedience. And I think for those of us who are walking in faith, maybe weakly at times, maybe faulty at times, but we are children of God the single most important thing for getting to that next level of abundant life and finding God's will and walking in righteousness is obedience. Just look at these verses from John 4. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And in 1 John 5, in fact, this, love, this is love for God to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. This is the victory that's overcome the world. I think I've shared with you before that you know what an owner's manual is in your car. The manufacturer, the one who understands that car the best, gave you that owner's manual so that you would know how to get the best use out of that car. Well, God has done that same thing. Our manufacturer, our creator has given us an owner's manual. And it's not like the manufacturer of an automobile. They're not just trying to get you to get your hands dirty, changing the oil or inflating the tires or having to pay to have somebody do that. It's not to be burdensome. It's to get the best use out of that automobile. And God's done the same thing for us. Not to be an ugly tyrant forcing us to do things, but he says, this is the best way to live. This is the way I've created you. So why does it seem so difficult? Well, in my own personal walk and in counseling many others about this, I think the problem is we just go looking for God's will in the wrong places. We don't believe what's revealed to us. We don't believe the Word of God when it talks to us. We're not trusting the character of God that He's good and that He's caring and He's capable. We don't trust God in those ways. We're not going to obey Him. We're not going to believe Him. We're not going to follow Him. We've got to believe in the character of God. And then we've got to be willing to obey. Again, obey. After speaking at a conference one evening, uh, a doctor, a nephrologist, came up and said, can I, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Well, I didn't have coffee that late at night, but I did go join him for a drink of uh, tea or something. And um, he actually had this burden. He, he was in a practice, but he was being recruited by another practice, and the job offer was extremely lucrative. In fact, that was his argument. God would not let me have such an offer, such a, a great opportunity if he didn't want me to take it. That was his point of view. I said, well, let's talk about where are you in your walk of faith? And he said he was a believer. I said, where are these people that want to be partners with you? They wanted to be owners. They wanted him to buy in. Not be an employer, not be an employee. That's totally different. But they wanted to be partners with him. He said, well, there's, they're, they're not believers. Mm-hmm. Clearly they're not believers. And I said, well, aren't you concerned about the scripture that says we shouldn't be unequally yoked together? I just don't believe that God would let me have this opportunity if he didn't want me to take it. That was his point of view. Never shifted from that. To his credit, to his dismay, in about three months he wrote me an email and said, worst decision ever made we don't get along we can't agree on things we're unequally yoked God's word is there for a purpose in our lives so let's look at this from the 3,000 30,000 foot view God has a great drama that is playing out He might title this great drama, this play that he's written, Redemption, Making All Things New. Because that's what he wants to do. Not just us. He wants to make all creation new. He's got a plan for that. And it's revealed in his word. In his word, it tells us that we can be part of God's drama. A script that will culminate in redemption. We're invited to be the actors in this play. And our role, along with others, will bring glory to God and bring fulfillment to our lives. So God has provided for us a script of this play and it's in the Bible. He's provided for us a model actor and an acting coach who is Jesus Christ, His Son. He's given us a director for the play and that's the Holy Spirit. And He invites us to be part of the cast. That's the body of Christ. And our part is to learn our lines, our entrances, our exits. Have you ever been in a play? You had to learn all these things for the play to go well and your part to go well. Entrance, exit, stage locations in order to effectively be part of his drama. Well, who determines all those details? Well, God does. He's written it into the script. The big plot is creation. There's verses there we could spend time on, but we're not going to. But he's created all things and given us a strategic role in his creation. And we blew it. We've introduced sin. We fell. We injured our relationship with God. But he came along with a redemptive plan through Jesus Christ that we can be restored both now and forever. And then one day there will be culmination of his plan. The beauty of holiness and the perfection of heaven in his presence. Paul says we see through a glass darkly, but one day we will see us face to face. That's what we have to look forward to. But in the meantime, in the meantime, God has given us guidance. He's given us commandments. We've looked at some of that. He's given us commissions. He's given us a calling. We know what we're supposed to do as Christians to be witnesses into the world. God has preordered our days. He has a plan for us. And Jeremiah reminds us that those plans are good. And says that we... Works are prepared for us. and In other places, it says we're prepared for the work. So God has specific things that he wants us to do in our lives to be part of his plan. Our decisions in following that can be fallible, and there can be significant consequences of that. But remember, God's redemptive power comes to play day in and day out. remember, I think I've told you before about John Wesley. A reporter once asked him, said, uh, when were you saved? And he said, well, last night and the night before, and the night before. It wasn't that he lost his salvation. He was just recommitting his life to Christ and applying the blood of Christ over his life because we don't walk perfectly. So we need that grace continued in our lives as it was given to us to begin our walk of faith. We need that grace. And Psalm 103 reminds us that he's gracious and he's forgiving. We know that's through Jesus Christ. So, God's promises and his guidance and his commandments. He brings them to us, but he says that those promises are conditional. If we acknowledge him, it says in Proverbs 3, then he will direct our paths. If we trust and do good, then we get the desires of our heart. My Sunday school teacher just loved to say, if we uh, are seeking God and trusting him, then he establishes the desires of our heart. He modifies our hearts to be more in line with His desires for us. So then we can seek and receive the desires of our heart when they're ordered by God. If we seek His kingdom and His righteousness and we prioritize that, then all these other earthly things that we need will be given to us. If we seek Him with a whole heart, we will find Him. Okay, that's the big picture. But now we need to bring it down to the practical level of applying it to our lives. And I find that when we, you know, our prayer lives are typically episodically going to God to tell him things that he probably already knows, well, he will already know, and to ask him for things that may or may not be good for us. And then to wonder sometimes why he doesn't give it to us, so we ask, why? Why am I suffering? Back um, around Christmas time, I was counseling someone who was definitely suffering from the consequences of a number of bad decisions that had been made. But yet that person was blaming God for the situation they were in. And had trouble understanding how God was not to be blamed, but their own decision-making of being outside of God's will was the reason they were in that situation. So, with that on my mind, I was talking to my five-year-old grandson, Ewan. I said, Ewan, let me just ask you a question what if you decided that you didn't want to obey your parents anymore? You know, they take care of you, they feed you, they shelter you, they clothe you, they love you, but you just decide, I don't want to obey them anymore. I want to live my life on my own. And you went out to live your life on your own. How would that go for you? And he looked a little surprised. He said, Grandpa, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I said, but what if you did that? Probably pretty soon you'd be cold and hungry and tired I said, would you blame your parents for that situation? No, Grandpa. I said, well, why do adults do that? We do it, don't we? We come complaining to God when we find ourselves in circumstances that are our own doing because we're outside of His will. So we bring these questions to God. We can spend (laughs) several chapels talking about the why question. We're not going to get into it now. But sometimes there's a limited way that the why question is helpful when we go to god but most of the time it's beyond our pay grade we just have to understand that not get frustrated by it but god has questions for us that are more important than our questions for him his questions to us are will you trust me and will you obey me trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey When I was uh, in a solo practice in an underserved area and I had a ministry-oriented practice, I was pastoring a church at the same time, and I just thought this was where God had me. I was fulfilled and blessed, but I had this stirring in my heart that God wanted to move me somewhere else, and I sort of fought it off for a period of time until I couldn't anymore, and I thought I had arrived at the point where I said, okay, God, just show me the plan that you have for me, and, and I'll do it. And he says, I've already told you what to do. Trust me. Leave the practice. I said, "Uh, these people are depending on me. That was prideful and naive. I said, you know, what's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to the practice? What's going to happen to the community? I was given all these arguments. I wanted God to see how he was going to sort it all out. And he said, you need to learn to walk by faith. And you're asking me to let you walk by sight. I want to teach you to do the walk by faith thing. You trust me. What we often do with God when we're asking Him to show us is that we're wanting the plan on approval. And I didn't realize at the time, but that's why. If, if He had revealed the whole plan for me, I'm sure I wouldn't have followed it. But I was asking for the plan on approval. And He says, just trust me. Trust me. Walk take the next step. Let's talk about the types of decisions that we encounter in life. First there's the knowledge decisions. And those decisions, when we have been trained and we have life experience, they help us to make those knowledge-based decisions. We just need some information. My daughter, when she was a little girl, got some really important information the day she walked over to the neighbor's yard and decided to pet pet the dog that was on a chain. She found out real quickly you shouldn't pet strange dogs. We have life experiences like that, sometimes we stump our toe. But we learn from it. And there's a great deal of knowledge we can learn about the things of life, but also the things of God that will help us make decisions. We also have wisdom decisions. These are the ones that we most struggle with. These are the ones that people have come to me, or I've come to God, saying, help me with this wisdom decision. I don't know what the wise thing to do. Not necessarily the right thing to do, the wise thing. What's the best thing to do here? Requires maturity and discernment and certainly we want the mind of God in doing that. Who should we marry? Should we buy a house? Which house? Who should, uh, what job should we take? Should I apply for an advancement or relocation or something like that? We'll get back to those decisions. The other type of decision are moral decisions. Here is where we have explicit information in Scripture. We have some do-nots. Therefore are our good, but they're do-nots. God doesn't want us to get hurt, and when we do one of these things, we get hurt. It's just like we tell the kids, don't go play on the road, you'll get hurt. God says some of that to us, and whether it's stealing or lying or cheating or immorality, He says, don't do those things. The problem is, we come along and we can deceive ourselves in the moment of lust, in the moment of greed, and setting up the things of this world as idols, as being more important than God. We can deceive ourselves and commit one of these moral Decision failures. God doesn't want that in our lives. So, let me ask you this. Some of you have heard this question before. Maybe you'll remember the answer. What is the very first thing God created? I know you're all going to be reluctant to answer. Most people will answer this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that wasn't the first thing. We're actually told what he created first. We go back to Proverbs. And Proverbs 8 says, The Lord brought me forth as first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity from the beginning before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was the craftsman at his side. What are we talking about? Wisdom. Wisdom. It's like God had this architectural plan and specifications for how it was all to be. He established the principles before he laid the foundations of the earth. And these principles continue to be in effect today. And this is the way it's going to work. And outside this plan, it's not going to work. That's wisdom. When our family, uh, children were young, we had... We were faithful in doing our family devotion right after evening dinner. And uh, they were really important times. The kids that even tell you that today is one of the most important experiences of their life of those family devotional times. And it took us weeks to go through the book of Proverbs. But early along, I challenged them. I said, I want you to come up with a definition of wisdom based on what we're studying here. And after a while, they came back and said, Dad, I think we've got we to definition he said wisdom is God's perspective on things I said hmm I don't think I can improve on that it's God's perspective when we get God's perspective on things that is wise so we need to gain God's perspective on things it was the first thing he created and we have to understand that to be useful and find a fullness in living in his creation the Bible talks about in several places that wisdom is a gift from God. And we can cultivate that wisdom by learning of Him and His way. Wisdom comes from knowing these two things that we talked about before. His written word and then having the Holy Spirit apply it to our lives. You get the map, you get the compass, and we can apply His wisdom to every situation in life. And it keeps us from getting lost. I'm not going to spend time on this for the sake of our limited time this morning. But these are all things, attitudes and behaviors that must be right for God's wisdom and will to play out properly in our lives. Love, reliance, humility, gratitude, integrity, clear conscience, diligence, secretness, generosity, submission, courage, and contentment versus lust and independence and pride and presumption, irresponsibility, guilt, laziness, compulsion, self-advancement, and cowardice, greed. Get the slides if you want to read the Scripture references that go with all that. So, our primary resources for finding God's will, as we talked about two of them already, is Scripture. It's the map. The Holy Spirit is the compass that orients that map to our lives. Prayer is a primary resource. We can go to God and we can ask Him specifically. I was just reading recently the story of Blind Barnabas and he was saying, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. That was the general, non-specific prayer. But Jesus says, what do you want? He says, I want my sight. We can be specific. God will be specific in his response to us. And then wise counsel. We should seek wise counsel from godly people, recognizing that they can be fallible in that guidance. Uh, I know my dad suffered from that problem when he, was, he had cancer. He had people giving him very bad advice and uh, created a hardship in his life and in the family. So just be careful about that. But there's some secondary places we can go. Our conscience, and I don't put it as a primary. I think you should look at your conscience as a guide in the sense of saying, if your conscience is convicted against something, don't do it. If your conscience is not clear, don't do it. But if your conscience gives you permission, then you need to go check it against the map and the compass, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, because our consciences can get distorted, can get deceived, and, and um, can be seared, as the Bible talks about. Circumstances. I know people say, well, like that, that doctor said, well, this is just a great opportunity for me to make a lot more money. That's an open door. I feel like God wants me to take it. Well, we need to pray that God closes the doors When it's not his will for our lives. Be careful about opening closed doors. And revelation. Personal revelation. I just feel like this is the right thing to do. Well Satan loves to deal with our feelings. And our minds. And get us distorted. He comes to kill, steal and destroy. And he will do that to our thinking process too. So revelation. Personal revelation always needs to be consistent. With God's revealed revelation for us. 19, Psalm 119, very similar in ways to Psalm 19, 119 and 19, both talk about the word of God and its place in our lives, but I just picked out one verse from Psalm 119, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The message here is that God's word and his will will take us on the next step in the journey. It doesn't say that God's word is a lamp to my horizon. And God will put you in circumstances where He will try to teach you to walk by faith. He will give you enough knowledge, enough wisdom to make that next step. But He might be withholding the horizon view because He might know that you're just asking for it on approval and He wants us to learn to walk by faith. Let me sort of come to a close by talking about a single verse that was really helpful to me. Back in college, I was... uh, I was actually struggling with the dating relationship and whether I should continue that or not. Was it God's will for me to be in this relationship or not? And I guess I was so burned by it, I must have looked downcast or something. I was walking across the, the, uh, the commons area at the, at the school and uh, Professor Two, who I never met, never had one of her classes, but she was past me on the sidewalk, and she just stopped me. I think word of God came to her or something, and she says, uh, are, are, you, are you doing all right? And I said, well, uh, Dr. Two, i I just um, struggling with the decision I'm trying to make. I didn't go into details about it. And she just said, well, you know, are you praying and reading your word, reading God's word about it? And I said, yes, yes ma'am, I am. She says, well, let me just make a suggestion. Why don't you go to the bookstore and get you a copy of the Amplified Bible and read the book of Proverbs because sometimes just seeing another translation will help us to find things in God's words we've not been seeing before. I've actually followed that policy now for many years of my life. Every once in a while I'll get a new translation of the Bible just to see how what I've not been seeing before. I went and got the Amplified Bible and started reading it. And there were so many aha moments. But when I got to this verse in 16, Proverbs 16, 3, it really was a solution to that particular problem. Let me read it to you. It says, Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to Him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. Let's start at the end of it because that's what caught my attention. Success. There's a way to find success in following God and His will in our lives? Well, yes, there is. But how do we get there? Well, go back to the middle of the verse. It says, He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will. How many of you want to have the mind of God? This tells you how to have the mind of God. I want God's thoughts in my thoughts. And I want to be certain of that. So how do I get certain of that? Go back to the beginning of the verse. It says, roll your works upon the Lord, commit and trust. Commit is... Obedience trust is trusting in the Lord to be true, to be care, to, to be good for us, to be capable for us. We trust in the Lord, He establishes our thoughts, and He'll lead us to success in our decisions. That's been very helpful to me many times in life. So, it began by saying, as we learn more and more about how God works, you'll learn more about how to do your work. That was in Colossians chapter 1, and I just want to amplify a little bit on... Uh, Romans chapter 12, it says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. Here again, there has to be a transform- uh, transformation in our mind to not stinking thinking like we're capable of, but divine thinking. That's what God wants to do. He does that primarily by coming to us by teaching us through his word and through His commandments and through His precepts and His principles and He'll transform our mind and the Holy Spirit then will complete that work in us by helping us to apply it to the situations in our lives Now, just a bit of a warning at the end here that knowing God's will is not enough in Romans 8 it tells us that if God be for us what's the rest of that? who can be against us? but pay attention to that word if when we come back and talk the next time I'm going to expand on that and look at some ifs in Scripture. There's a lot of ifs. I forget the number, some incredible number of ifs in Paul's writing alone. But we're going to look at the ifs. What does the if mean here? There's a condition that needs to be met for God to be for us. What do you think that condition might be? Would it not be obedience to His teaching to us? Then who can be against us? when we met that condition. So we have to move from just knowing God's will, as James chapter 1 tells us, we can't just be hearers of the word, we have to be doers of the word, we have to be applying those precepts to our lives. And then who can be against us? And we can be sure we're walking in the will of God, because when we apply those things to our life, He's renewing our mind, and establishing our thoughts to be agreeable to His will. So the keys are to know God, to know His word, and trust God. For without faith it's impossible to please God. We've got to trust Him. And believe who He is. What He's capable of. And then He loves us and can do good for us. And surrender to that. And then we need to obey Him. Just a quick little story. When my children were small. There were times when they were disobedient. And we had to deal with that. But when I knew that they wanted to please me. I tried to move heaven and earth to make it possible. When we as children of God want to please Him, He will move heaven and earth to make it possible. So you don't have to worry about whether you're in God's will as long as you're trying to be in God's will. He will supply the capacity and the means by which you can walk in His will when you want to walk in His will. It starts by surrendering your will to Him obedience, trusting, and obeying. One other little thing. John 1, 2 reminds us, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So, finding God's will doesn't only lead to an abundance of life now, but it leads to eternal life with Him. We have that promise from Him. So, lots of information. So, You're welcome to ask for the slides if you want to search up the scripture references. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed of you that you cared enough to create a world for us to live in, gave us work to do, good work to do in your creation, and we stumbled and fallen so many times, Lord, But you forgive us and you welcome us back, and it's all possible by the redemptive work of Jesus, and we thank you for him. We thank you for the grace and mercy that's poured out on us and the offering that we can know your mind and your will and apply it to our lives and find fulfillment, which also brings glory to you. Lord, beyond our comprehension, that the King of the universe would welcome us in under those terms and make it possible. And we don't have to earn it. We just accept that. And we live in obedience, Lord. We thank you for that provision. Thank you for Jesus. Pray now that we might honor him with the way that we walk in your will. Amen.